morning in some form, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Genesis 28, Genesis chapter 28, and welcome to week three of a series that we are calling Jesus in the Old Testament, and the premise is that we find Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. We find him in prophecy that points to his first coming and his second coming. We find him through types and patterns, that is, events and things in in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and his actions in the New Testament. And then we find Jesus, in fact, presently, where his presence is seen and and, and felt in the the Old Testament, where he comes um, in a bodily or angelic form. And so we discover Jesus actively involved in creation. When we read Genesis 1, we read John 1. Jesus was in the beginning, all things created through him. We call him the last Adam. We see him in the first sacrifice. We see him in the ark um, of salvation. He comes alive in the story of Abraham and Isaac as we looked at last week and that sacrifice pointing to Jesus. And we discover him in Jacob's ladder, which is where we go today. I've spent so much time this week studying about a ladder that I actually dreamed about a ladder. I had a dream where a few nights back I, I dreamed that I, I died and went to heaven and I was in heaven, but it was different. Um, I, there was there and there was a huge ladder and there was an angel who I walked up to and he gave me a piece of chalk and told me to ascend the ladder and I would find the entrance to heaven. But he said, as you ascend the ladder, you will see on every rung there is uh, a blackboard and I want you to write the sins that you have been forgiven of. And so, of course, I started climbing the ladder, and I'm writing all of my sins as I go up, and um, I'm done with my confession, and I look up, and I still can't see the, the gates or where I'm going. All I can see is kind of clouds, and, but yet I see a figure kind of coming towards me. So I keep climbing. That figure gets closer and closer, and all of a sudden, I realize it's Frank, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. So I'm thinking to myself first, I'm like, Frank, like, why are you here? And, 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 then, and then I said, well, Frank, why are you coming down? Like, did you not get in? And he said, no, 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 I, I just ran out of chalk. <laughs> and that, that is not my word for you, as, as, j- j- just, just so you know. And I know that's bad theology, but come on, that's funny. That, 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 that's funny. So let me give you this morning just kind of a brief introduction of where we are going today. In Genesis 28, we meet Jacob on the run. Jacob, a deceiver. Jacob, a liar. Jacob, the hill grabber. And here is Jacob, um, the son who has fooled his aging father, Isaac, and he's stolen his brother's inheritance. In fear, he flees from his brother who not surprisingly wants to kill him. So Jacob flees the promised land in a sense, and this mama's boy who loves staying at home has now been driven from his home. And he becomes a fugitive from his family, fearing his brother's ferocious rage against him. And the tension of this story, and in this story, rises as Jacob comes to a certain place at sunset. He spends the night out in the elements all alone without protection in an unknown place. Jacob finds a a sandy spot to sleep and has a rock for a pillow. The tension continues to rise as he nods off to sleep and dreams a strange dream about a ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending 
upon this ladder. And what people often call, as you see, Jacob's ladder. And we're actually calling that, um, that this morning. But ultimately, this isn't Jacob's ladder. It's God's ladder. And this is what God is doing. So God comes to Jacob in a dramatic dream in the middle of the night. And for the first time in Jacob's life, he encounters God. After the vision, he hears God repeat the same promise he had given to Abraham and to Isaac that through now through the descendants of, of Jacob, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the, the point of, of this powerful and com, confusing image is, is this. In a sense, God is now in his grace invading humanity. He is invading the earth. Our world of sin, death, violence, deceitfulness is being invaded by the grace of God. A way, an unexpected way has, has opened up through God's promises and through God's intention to bring a different outcome upon the world. And we praise God for that different outcome. We praise God for what he has offered to us. So I want us to dive in this morning to this passage and eventually we are going to behold Jesus here in this type as Jacob's ladder. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we honor God's word. We're going to read Genesis 28 verses 10 through 19 together. And it says this, beginning in verse 10, Jacob left, left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, and your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and thank you that, Jesus, we can behold you in the midst of the Old Testament. Lord, you are not just present in the New Testament. As we know you are, Lord. You are, Jesus, you are present in the Old Testament. We can see so many prophecies, so many types and patterns, and even you presently there. Just show us today, Lord, the beauty of this type and pattern of, of Jacob's ladder. And Jesus, what you would say when you came in, in John 1 and how you are that ladder. And just show us the beauty, Jesus, of who you are to us. That what we have in you in the midst of the world that we live in. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So what, what mercy that God would meet a sinful liar and deceiver like Jacob and pour out his promises upon him through this dream that enabled Jacob to have a, a source of communion with God. And at first I think, why? 
Jacob doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve this communion with God. But then I remember my own life, and I don't deserve the grace and the mercy of God that he has poured abundantly upon me. But I, I praise him for his mercy and grace. And just think about this dream. Dreams are, are typical. Dreams are a normal part of our lives. Everybody dreams every night, so it is said, whether you remember them or not. Now, some dreams are more unusual than others. I think we can all admit that. I've heard that it's actually impossible for you to die in a dream. And if you do, if you've ha have ever had a dream where you died, it wasn't you that died, but the character that you were playing in that dream um, that, that died. I don't know all the details, but what I do know is that you can be scared awake from your dreams. You can have such a physically impacting dream that you can wake up with a charley horse or a severe cramp if you don't know what that is anybody ever been there all of a sudden um here you are and you are awake you know but jacob's dream now this is a dream from god i've, I've had people i actually had people come up to me and say hey i've i had a dream they tell me their dream and then they say to me as the pastor well what does that mean and of course i normally say well i'm not joseph or daniel i do not have that gift, so I don't know, but maybe I'm going to take a stab and say you should stay away from spicy foods right before bed. And that's kind of um, normally my interpretation of their dream. But you know, we, what we know is that every dream is not a dream from God. And by the way, and I'm about to say something that might not be very popular, but if God needs to speak to you through a dream, it probably means or it probably speaks of your inability to listen to him in the first place. And what I mean by that is, is this. Just follow with me here. You've got to be pretty hard-headed if God has to resort to a dream to get your attention. Now, God has done it. He can do it. He may do it. He, he, he will do it at times. But I think, first of all, God wants to speak to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And if we need him to go further, it says something about us. It says something about our ability to listen. And I know oftentimes God has to get us alone. He has to get us to a place where we're by ourselves. Jacob wasn't prone to listening. So God's message comes to him in a dream and it's dramatic. And if you are stubborn, if, if you are a stubborn individual in this room, let me say this, God can and he will get your attention. Now he normally starts with that still small voice. He'll begin with the word, and if that doesn't work, well, let's just say he has his ways. Whether it be a huge fish with Jonah, or Peter having a vision on a rooftop, or Saul of Tarshish being knocked off his horse, or Jacob here in this dream. But again, it says more about our inability to listen. Now, Jacob, what we know, he was as stubborn as they come. He was as manipulative as they come. He dug his hills in. But praise God, God was able to get a hold of him. And he does so through a dream of a ladder showing God's presence here on earth. You see, for Jacob, God seemed so distant. God seemed so far away. He was running away and running to this place. He had to have thought, this is a God-forsaken place. God isn't here. 
there's probably times in our lives where we've been to places like that. that We said, this is a God-forsaken place. There's no way God can be here. And Jacob has this dream, and he sees God hovering over the ladder, and some say beside the ladder. He is there with him. And this ladder represents this divine connection between heaven and earth. Earlier in Genesis, in fact, 17 chapters earlier, we are told of a people who tried their own divine connection by building a tower up to heaven. They were determined to get to God, not God's way, but their way, and they built this tower of Babel, but they didn't reach heaven because God, in a sense, came down, confused their language, dispersed them among the nations. But in contrast to Babel, this time, God provides the latter. God doesn't call humans to travel up it, but instead, in Genesis 28, angels are traveling down and up again. By the end of this dream, people aren't dispersed as they were in in Babel. Instead, at the end of this dream, Jacob is told that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. They'll be united. At Babel, we see man's effort, but here, Jacob's side, we see God's effort. Babel reveals our inability to reach God. But Bethel shows that it is God who bridges the gap between heaven and earth. No one, no one sees God apart from the way that God has made. So in the remaining time that we have, I want to lay three pictures before us. that show the life of, of Jacob and I think if we're honest, our lives. And they ultimately point to Jesus as the ladder from heaven. So truth number one is this, or the first picture is this. We see the cruelty of earth. We see the cruelty of earth. And again, if we're being honest, and church is a good place to be honest, earth can be a cruel place. It can be a very cruel place. Right before this event, we find Jacob at his worst. He is a lying deceiver um, who was... He was a dishonored individual. He was on the run. And most of us, I suspect, know a little bit about life on the run. Now, some of you would go, never me. But let me just explain. Some of us spend a whole lot of time running from our past. We're we're trying to escape guilt. We're trying to escape shame and regret and failures and, and disappointments. Some are trying to get away from pain and losses and brokenness of life. Sometimes we just want to leave part of our past that we dislike we just want to leave it behind other times we're running toward a future for some of us we're on a search for significance a search maybe for a new job or a new relationship or a new this or new that something that can give me significant significance some of us are maybe searching for answers who am i why am i here what is god's purpose for me most of us probably know what it's like to live on the run due to schedules and chaos and busyness of life by which we are just busier than we've ever been you know we live now where life is measured by accomplishments and to-do list and i say that as an individual that every morning every monday morning i make my to-do list and it is long and i take great pleasure in marking off things on that to-do list but we live in that way demands expectations chase after us and we tell ourselves as soon as I do this then I'll have this or as soon as I catch up then I'll have this and that and oftentimes it never comes 
We could all tell stories of life on the run in some form or fashion, and our stories would be specific to us, but really they're just another version of Jacob's story. For Jacob learns, as we often do, that when it comes to God, you can run, but you can't hide. You cannot hide from him. This is a, a place now where Jacob is most, most vulnerable, yet because of his vulnerability, he is more and most open to hearing and responding to God. And we just say, praise God for those moments. Praise God for those moments where he brings us to the end of our vulnerability so that we're able to hear and respond to him. But we're told in verse 10, and you see on the screen, Jacob left Beersheba, went to Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Now, though the darkness is literal in this case, the darkness is also pointing to a spiritual darkness that existed in Jacob and it affects us all. And then we read, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So no soft pillows for rest of conscience in this dark place. It reminds us that there is no rest for any of us apart from Christ. There's no rest apart from him. And what we know is that the cruelty of this earth that we live in involves darkness, it involves restlessness, it involves division in relationships, and it involves unfulfillment. This is the cruelty of, of earth. And when the sun goes down on the first day of Jacob's journey, Jacob lies down with a pillow or stone for a pillow. He falls asleep. It's, a, it's really a moment of sheer vulnerability. Jacob alone in this darkness, he's unprotected from his enemies. He's exposed to the elements and he's exposed to God. And at that moment of complete openness, yet also complete exhaustion, complete surrender, Jacob dreams of a future with God that had previously seemed unimaginable. And now note, just notice where Jacob is, where it tells us that he is in verse 11. It's one thing to say, well, Jacob's in the middle of nowhere, but that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says he came to a certain place. And that certain place was a hard place, but it was also a place of grace. It was a place where God met him, even if it didn't look like God was going to meet him there. In fact, what Jacob would later name Bethel, the house of God, was really a bare scrap of wilderness where he had nothing more than a rock for a pillow. When the sun came down, Jacob was for, forced to stop. He was forced to lie down. It became a place of surrender. Jacob stops running from life. He stops running from himself. He stops, in that moment, stops running from his brother who might have been chasing him and Praise God, he stopped running from God. And now God can appear. Now God can, can speak. And Jacob's going to see with new eyes. He's going to hear with new ears. Listen, the cruelty of this earth, think about what you are going through right now, could be the very thing that God is using to pour his grace and his mercy and show you a new revelation of himself. But if all you do is focus on that cruelty, you might miss that revelation of what God is trying to show you. So first, we must see the cruelty of earth. But then secondly, let's notice the openness of heaven. 
the openness of heaven. What mercy from God that God would meet a sinful liar, a sinful deceiver like Jacob and pour out these promises upon him and enable him to have communion with God. We're told in verse 12, and he dreamed, and in his dream there was a ladder set up on earth. And all you could, you could say that this ladder was, was grounded upon the earth, but we know it didn't originate from earth. It did not originate from below. It was not a, not a ladder given to man by which man climbs up to God. Instead, it was a ladder given from above whereby God descends to man. Understand the difference here. This whole picture of Christianity is not us climbing our way up to him. It's him coming down to us. For he desires an intimate relationship with us. And then it says this, And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of your father, or God of, God of Isaac. So Jacob's ladder reveals to us a connection between heaven and earth, connection between divinity and humanity, a connection between the uncreated one and us created beings. And it appears even to someone who is on the run. Through Jacob, God reveals his ladder of love, his ladder of grace, his ladder that represents his life and connection. He, he shows that, his presence to us. So that we can see this is our God. In Jacob's restlessness, in his anxiousness, in his fearfulness, he dreams of a ladder ascending to the heavens, angels traveling up and down, shuttling back and forth. And God is there. And God basically says, sum it up, God says, Jacob, I'm God. I'm your God. I'm the God of your parents. I'm the God of your people. All the promises I have made with your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac, I now stand here to make them to, to you. I will go with you wherever you go. I will bring you back here. There will never be a moment I will not be with you. I will do what I promise. And Jacob wakes and says, surely God was in this place. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, absolutely, yes, God was in this place. God was meeting with you in this moment. And whatever we think about dreams, what we see here is the nearness of God. The heavens had, have opened. God has made himself known. God has come near. John Wesley put it this way. When talking about this text, he said, God is there where we did not think he had been. And God has been found where we did not ask him to be. This is our God. In an anxious, in a fearful world, Jacob finds God near. Undeniably near. But notice also that Jacob's experience, the nearness of God, is inclusive. Meaning, neither the nearness of God nor, nor Jacob's dream is for Jacob alone. God says, basically to us, remember the promises that I've made all throughout eternity, all throughout time, remember. And God says to us, as I was with them, I will be with you. I will be with you. This moment, this nearness is not just for Jacob. It's for us as well. You know, recently, I've been reading a devotional book entitled God is My Hiding Place from Corey Ten Boone. It's 40 days of thoughts that were, um, from a book that she wrote, same name, God is My Hiding Place or My Hiding Place. 
At the age of 52, Corrie Ten Boom endured 10 months in a Nazi prison because she hid Jews in her family home during World War II. And one of her devotional thoughts that I read, it, it reminded me so much of what Jacob was and was going through, had to be going through in this moment. Now, the difference is, one, Jacob brought upon himself. Corrie Ten Boom did not bring this upon herself, but just, just hear the, these words. She said this, For the first week, they put me in a cell with four or five others, for I was very ill with pleurisy. The prison doctor said it would develop in tuberculosis, so I was sent to solitary confinement. He didn't want me to infect others. For the first time ever, I was really alone. I knew my life was completely in the hands of the enemy. They could kill me or torture me or just forget about me altogether. And there would be no one to know or care. At night, the sounds of distant bombing penetrated the thick walls, and from somewhere within came the muffled cries of people being tortured by the Gestapo. This was a little bit of hell. Solitary confinement lasted four months. It was not only the isolation that was so hard, but also the constant threat that at any moment of the day or night, they would come for me. Whenever I heard footsteps outside my cell, I would ask myself, are they coming to torture or kill me? Once I stood with my back against the wall with my hands spread out as if to try to push away the walls that were closing in on me. I was dead scared. I cried out, Lord, I'm not strong enough to endure this. I don't have the faith. Suddenly I noticed an ant, which I had watched roaming the floor of the cell for days. I had just mopped the floor with a wet rag, and the moment the ant felt the water on the stones, he ran straight to his tiny hole in the wall. Then it was as if the Lord said to me, Corey, what about that ant? He didn't stop to look at the wet rag or his weak feet. He went straight to his hiding place. Corey, don't look at your faith. It is weak, like the tiny feet of that ant. Don't dwell on the treatment you might receive from these cruel people. I am your hiding place. And you can come running to me just like that ant disappeared into the hole in the wall. And then she ends by saying this, if you believe that, you will know that there is someone who is still interested in you who cares about you and he is still your hiding place in the midst of the cruelty of this earth we have a hiding place heaven has opened up god has come near and we are able to hide in him your faith is weak he is strong your your strength is gone his strength is continuing when we are weak he is strong we see the cruelty of earth. We see the openness of heaven. But let me end by showing us the ladder from heaven. The ladder from heaven. If you can turn in your Bible to John 1. And some of the verses are going to be on the screen. But others I'm just going to show you in John 1. Ultimately, this dream is not fulfilled in Jacob's life. It's fulfilled in Jesus' life. Jesus shows us this. In John 1, Jesus takes the story of Jacob's ladder. And he actually applies it to himself. So Jesus had come on the scene. John the Baptist tells all of his followers, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The next day, two of John's disciples come to Jesus and said, Where do you stay? And Jesus says, Come and see. So they follow. The next day, Jesus calls Andrew, who immediately goes and gets his brother Simon. Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus renames him. You are Peter. 
Then the next day, Jesus comes to Philip. And Philip goes to, or, or comes in a beautiful way to, to Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses talked about. We found the one, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And when I read that this week, and this is, this is not going to cost you anything extra. When I read that this week, here's what God said to me. There are times in my life where just like Nathaniel, who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? There's times in my life where I say, can anything good come from this? Can anything good come from this? Can anything good come from the circumstances that I'm going through right now? And God says, come and see. Follow me and see. Follow me and see what I will do. So Jesus comes to Nathanael. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and, or Nathanael comes towards him, and Jesus says to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. When Jesus described Nathanael as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, he was distinguishing Nathanael from Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He was saying to Nathanael, You're not a deceiver. Now, the story continues where Nathaniel, I'm going to use my, the, the Micah International Version, Nathaniel basically says, how do you know me? I don't know who you are. You don't know me. And Jesus says to him, when you were sitting at the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel immediately says, my Lord and my God, the King of Israel, which makes you wonder, what was he doing at the fig tree? Jesus says, you say that because I told you I saw you at the fig tree? And then we read in verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus, from the moment that he met Nathanael, was alluding to Jacob and the story of Jacob and the latter. So much so, was it possible that Jacob might have been sitting under the fig tree reading the story? Or that Nathanael was sitting under the fig tree reading the story of Jacob? You know, we, we don't know. But what, what we do know is that Jesus met Nathanael in this way, alluded to Jacob. That, he was, that Nathanael was unlike Jacob, pointing eventually to the latter. So much so that Nathanael says, you are the Lord. You are the Son of God. Then Jesus continues referring to, to Jacob, taking him to the ladder, saying, you will see the angels ascending and descending on me. On me, I am the ladder. D don't miss this. Jesus is the divine connection between heaven and earth. What Nathaniel would witness is far greater than what Jacob saw in his dream because Nathaniel would see the ultimate ladder, the final connection between heaven and earth. Jesus would be the perfect ladder, the bringer of peace between God and man, the only connection between heaven and earth. The entire life of Jesus isn't just a story about somebody climbing a ladder. It's a picture of someone and only one, only someone coming down to us. 
Think about this. In eternity past, Jesus was at the top of the organizational chart. Of the entire universe, Jesus was at the top. But he went from the top to the bottom. In fact, we are told that Jesus went even lower than the angels. He became an ordinary human being. He wasn't born in a palace to a king and queen, but he was laid in a manger as a son of, or peasant son of a poverty-stricken couple. From the time that he was born until he died, Jesus spent his entire life connecting God with man. Which begs the question, is Jesus your connecting point? Is Jesus your connection with God? I talk to so many people, and they talk about God so much, but when you bring up Jesus, they stop. Like, he's not there. But, but the reality is, if Jesus isn't your connection point to God, then you have no connection. He must be. For the moment that we believe that our efforts determine how far we climb up to God, let me tell you what Jesus will do. He'll knock us off our ladder. He will knock us off our ladder in order to give us something better. Grace gives us what we, could never, what we could never climb up to by coming down to us. In a world filled with ladder-based religions, every religion that we know about is ladder-based. You make your way to God. You climb to God. In a world filled with that, Jesus offers a better alternative. Jesus isn't waiting for us to climb the ladder. He descended to us. The Son of God descended from His throne. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He suffered a gruesome death for our sins. He died and He rose again. Jesus came down into our sin, into our suffering, into our guilt, into our shame, and He came down for us. Therefore, Jesus didn't wait for you to get yourself together. He came down. He didn't wait for you to acknowledge him. He came down. He didn't wait for you to make any movement toward him. He came down. He didn't wait for you to love him first. He loved you first, and he came down. Jesus gave all of himself for us. He is not holding something back, waiting for us to climb higher or higher. He gives all his grace, all his forgiveness, all his mercy, all his strength to us right now. Notice this. Here is the difference. Jesus is not standing above the ladder, hollering, screaming at us, saying, climb higher, do better, climb higher. No, Jesus is at the bottom of the ladder saying, come to me. All you who are weak and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is our Savior. That is what he do does for us in the midst of the cruelty of this earth. He comes to us. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were talking and, and sharing all the concerns of their life. And the Lord just kind of laid something upon my heart. I want to end by saying this to you. In the midst of the cruelty of this world, listen, we carry so many things. We are burdened down. We have so many things that we are carrying. But just imagine in this moment, you're walking down the street. It's a hot day. And you're carrying a 100-pound backpack on your back, and you are struggling. And you are almost faltering under the weight of it. And in that moment, Jesus comes to you. And he says to you, what are you doing? And we look at him and we say, 
I'm just resting in you. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're trying to carry the burdens of this world on your own. When Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Resting in Jesus isn't carrying it on your own, thinking I'll care as long as I can and then I'll give it to you. No, it's giving it to him now. Don't carry it as long as you possibly can. Give it to him now. Be freed of that now. Be free of the cruelty of all the things of this world now by giving it to the one who came down for you and for me. Let's find rest in him. Maybe today for the first time in coming to him as Savior and Lord. Maybe today is the day we find rest from him for the first time in a long time. But let us find our rest today in him. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into this time of invitation and consecration where we say, however God is speaking to your heart, may you do what he says. So let us pray. Father, we just rejoice again in you in this moment that, Jesus, you are the ladder. You are the connecting point from heaven to earth, and there is no other connection. It is you. And, Jesus, you are the one whom the angels ascend and and descend upon. You are the ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises. In fact, your word says that, Jesus, you, all of God's promises find their yes in you. And Lord, we, we just thank you, Jesus, that you are that fulfillment. But Lord, you're not just the fulfillment of promises that we want. You are the fulfillment of our salvation. You're the fulfillment of, of true spiritual rest that we can have in you. And Lord, we pray for anyone today that doesn't know that spiritual rest. That today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that they confess their sin to you. That they would confess that they are sinners in need of your salvation. And they would receive the gift of salvation given Jesus through you, through your death, through your burial, through your, your life and your resurrection. They would call in the name of the Lord and be saved. But also, Lord, for others of us who are carrying the burdens of this world and telling people that we're resting, Lord, help us to lay those burdens down so that we would come to find our true rest in you. Our our rest in you isn't doing 50% of the work and trusting you to do the other half and find rest, but, Lord, trusting you to do what we can't do and trusting you to do that always. As you met with Jacob at Bethel, Lord, meet with us here in this moment as we know you already are. Finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.